Our text this afternoon is taken from the book of Judges. Uh, Judges 6, we will read the verses 1 to 32. Uh, this is um, this passage focuses on the call of Gideon. So, Judges 6, beginning at verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted us, or recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, and the broth he put in a pot, and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes, and put them on this rock, and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand, and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock, and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. 
But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abizarites. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the asher that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bowl and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and Asher beside it was cut down. And the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, what, who, or who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, bring out your, sons that he may, your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asher beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, in that day Gideon was called Jeroboam, that is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. As far the reading of our text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, a God hates to see his people in slavery. Instead, he desires his people to live free. But of course, what does it mean to live as free people? Uh, many people in the world define freedom as the freedom to just do whatever you want, embrace any desire that you want that comes out of your heart. However, that's not how the Bible describes true freedom. Just think of what the Lord Jesus says in John 8. Uh, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And this is one thing that Israel, in the time of the judges, had not yet learned. They did not understand. Instead, they had fallen into the deadly problem described in Romans 1, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and so they served and worshipped created things, the Baals, rather than the Creator, the Lord God. This is what we see them do uh, in our text from Judges 6. Here they are serving idols again, the Baals. And you can see that happens continually in the book of Judges, over and over again. However, the Lord, in his grace, would not leave them there in their sin. He would work again to set his people free, and that's what we also see in our text from Judges 6. And so I proclaim to you God's word this afternoon under the following theme. The Lord raises up a new judge to bring about a new exodus. 
And we'll look at, first of all, humanity's greatest problem. Uh, second, the Lord's saving grace. And finally, that salvation uh, begins at home. Our text begins with that constant refrain that you can see uh, throughout this book, this book of, uh, sorry, Judges. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. A new generation arose, and they sank back into those old sinful ways. This shows the sad reality of our sinful nature. By nature, the human heart uh, runs downhill towards sin, picking up steam as it goes. And that's why we also get this constant cycle of apostasy in the book of Judges. It's the human heart revealing itself. Now, with this opening refrain, if we know the book of Judges, then we probably know what's coming next. Uh, The sin of the people leads to this. The Lord gave them into the hand of the Midianites for seven years. Uh, That was the common pattern as well. Israel sinned and the Lord gave up his people uh, to their enemies. And this was a new kind of pain, though, for Israel. The Midianites overpowered the Israelites They entered the land together with the Amalekites. They started from the east, and it says they advanced like savage locusts, uh, destroying as they went. It was so bad that many Israelites took shelter in the mountains. And Israel then did the only sensible thing. They cried out to the Lord. That was good. Of course, that's what they should have done. They did that. But notice that the Lord did not immediately give them the relief they craved. What did he do? Well, something else needed to be done first. Instead of giving them another judge, God first sent them a prophet. See, Israel had to learn the reason why this was happening. And that's one of the purposes of the Word of God, to wake us up to our sin. And we need to hear that too at times, as painful as it might be. Uh, We need to hear the Word of God so that we might know our sin and that we might turn away from it. And Israel needed this wake-up call at this point in time also. They seem oblivious to the evil they're doing, so God sent them prophet. So the Lord, or sorry, the prophet brings the Lord's case against Israel. And first, he describes Yahweh's faithfulness and saving works. He says, I led you up from Egypt. I brought you up from the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians. I saved you from the hand of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. The Lord is saying, I've been so good and gracious to you, Israel. See, the Lord had saved them. And his commandments to them, they were not burdensome. He said to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites, 
What did Israel do in response to God's faithfulness to them? The Lord puts it plainly, you have not obeyed my voice. Some in Israel were wondering where Yahweh's faithfulness was. Here they were languishing under the hand of the Midianites. And Gideon himself asked in this text, Where is the Lord whom we have heard about? The God who brought us out of Egypt and worked all kinds of wonders. But the thing was, faithfulness was not God's problem. It was Israel's problem. They were not faithful to the Lord. You see, God was not there simply to defeat Israel's enemies so that they could go on living however they wanted, embracing idols. No, he saved them for a relationship that they might serve him. But what are they doing in this text? They rejected the Lord. They're serving idols. And this was Israel's greatest problem. You see, the greatest problem they faced was not the oppression of the Midianites, no matter how bad it was. It was not having to live in mountain shelters away from their homes. The greatest problem they had was that they were enslaved to idols. And that's what idolatry is. It's slavery. Whenever we serve idols, which we are all prone to do, we subject ourselves to slavery. You know, it's good to ask yourself, what, what am I enslaved to in my life? What am I enslaved to? Most likely, there's an idol behind it one sort or another. And idolatry, slavery to idols will always bring misery and bitterness. So God first sent Israel a prophet because they had to understand that their enslavement to idols was their greatest problem. Even though they were no longer slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and they were in the promised land, they were still slaves, slaves of sin, but they didn't realize it. It's similar to the time of Christ. Take the average Israelite in the time of the Lord Jesus when he was on earth. If you were to ask one of them, what's Israel's greatest problem right now? Well, that Israelite might respond, well, it's the Romans. Romans are in control of the land God gave us. The Pharisees most likely would have responded that way. But the Lord Jesus came as a prophet from God. And he made clear to them, this is not your greatest problem. Their greatest problem was sin, he said in John 8, which we read. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved of anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? 
And then Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who, who practices sin is a slave to sin. A slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, these people that Jesus talked to in Israel, they never lived as slaves in Egypt. They thought they were free. Yet Christ tells them, you are slaves because of your sin. And this was their greatest problem. They needed Jesus to rescue them. This problem has not gone away. This is humanity's greatest problem. If you were to ask your average person on the street, what's the greatest problem in the world today? Well, they might say, well, climate change. Or maybe, you know, a pandemic or um, the world leaders or something like that. But here we should ask, well, what kind of answer would we give? What's the greatest problem in the world today? Do we understand that the greatest problem is idolatry? It's sin. And that by nature, we are prone to idolatry. We are prone to sin. We need to reckon with that in our own hearts. We can't just point to the world and say, well, the problems in the world, they lie out there. No, the problems of the world, including sin, are in here. We need freeing from that. Now, a newspaper once asked a question, what's wrong with the world? A man named G.K. Chesterton is said to have written to the newspaper, Dear Sirs, I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Brings us to our second point. The Lord sent a prophet to Israel to call out Israel for its sin. You would expect a different ending to his message. You would expect the Lord to end by saying something like, Therefore, because of your sin, uh, the Midianites will oppress you seven more years. But that's that's not what happens. Instead, the Lord comes to his people with his saving grace. He's going to send them another judge, another savior. Israel did not deserve it, but that's God's mercy to them. And this is the same grace he's shown us in Jesus Christ. We don't deserve his love, not at all. We don't deserve a savior, but he chose to be gracious to us. And this same grace is on display in the call of Gideon. Seen in Judges 6, it switches to an area of Israel called Ophrah. The angel of the Lord was under an oak tree there. And it's good for us to say a few things about the angel of the Lord here. In this exchange between the angel of the Lord and Gideon, it's hard to distinguish between the angel and the Lord himself. Verse 12, the angel appeared to Gideon and he says, The Lord is with you. And then verse 14 then says, the Lord turned to Gideon. And verse 16, the Lord then says, I will be with you. And in response, Gideon wants to offer the speaker a gift. The gift is then presented to the angel of the Lord. So it's hard at times to distinguish the angel of the Lord from the Lord himself. This is not the first time this sort of thing has happened with the angel of the Lord. You see the same thing in Exodus 3 where the Lord calls Moses. And you see the same thing in Judges 13 with the birth of Samson. 
That's why some, including John Calvin, have concluded that the angel of the Lord is uh, the pre-incarnate Christ, the Son of God. Although we need to be careful about jumping to conclusions, I do think that is a real possibility. But in any case, the angel certainly has the authority of the Lord, and he says to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Now, that is a stunning greeting. might have also been difficult to believe. And difficult to believe for two reasons. First, it doesn't seem like God is with Israel or with Gideon at all. Here he is hiding in a wine press, trying to thresh, thresh out the little grain that he has. And two, Gideon looks nowhere near like a mighty man of valor. And the rest of the Gideon story makes that clear. But the Lord does not call us to believe his word because of what our eyes see. He calls us to simply live by faith based on what he says. Let me say that again. The Lord does not call us to believe his word because of what our eyes see. He calls us to live by faith based simply on what he says. We need to do that as well. The Lord says to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. See, God often calls people to be and calls people something what they appear to be not. God changed Abram's name to Abraham, meaning father of many, even when he had no children. God does a similar thing for us, too. He calls us righteous, even when we still have sin in our own lives. He can do this through Christ. He tells us to believe it in faith. Again, the Lord calls Gideon a mighty man of valor. That's not because... Gideon himself is so mighty. He's a mighty man of valor because the Lord is with him. And that makes all the difference. Gideon objects, of course. His tribe is uh, the weakest in Manasseh. And he is the weakest in his father's house. But that doesn't matter for God. In fact, that makes Gideon the perfect candidate to save Israel God's power will be made perfect in his weakness. The Lord tells Gideon, he will be with him, and that's all Gideon really needs. The Lord will be with me, so it will be okay. That's what we need to believe, too. Christ says, I'm with you always. We can hold on to that. Notice what Gideon first says in response to the angel of the Lord. He says, where are all... Yahweh's wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Basically, he's saying, where is the God of the Exodus? We've heard about him. Why isn't he acting now? Well, that's a good question, Gideon. But don't you see, he's acting right now by calling you. Again, Israel was in slavery at this time. Yes, they are in the promised land. They were no longer slaves of Pharaoh, but they are slaves of sin and idols. 
It's good for us to ask, what was the goal of the Exodus? Was it a matter of human rights? No, God kept proclaiming to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they might serve me. What is Israel doing now? They're serving idols. That means even though Israel came out of Egypt, the goal of the Exodus has not been fulfilled. So a greater Exodus needs to happen. An Exodus from slavery to sin. This is the Exodus we need to participate in too. It's not good enough to say, oh, I'm a covenant child, so everything is just fine no matter how I live. We all need to be set free from sin. As Christ says in John 8, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Israel needed this kind of exodus. And it's no wonder then that the call of Gideon is similar to the call of Moses in Exodus 3. Consider the similarities between them. God called Gideon in response to Israel's cries. The same is true of Moses in Exodus 3. The Midianites are the nation oppressing Israel in Judges 6. Moses is living in Midian in Exodus 3. The call of Gideon begins with an appearance of the angel of the Lord. The same is true of Moses in Exodus 3 with the burning bush. The Lord tells Gideon, I will be with you. He says the same thing to Moses in Exodus 3. Both Gideon and Moses cite their own weakness as a reason not to be called for their task. And God gives them both signs to reassure them. For Gideon, it will be the fleece at the end of chapter 6. For Moses, it was his hand uh, turning leprous, his staff turning into a snake. In both instances, fire is a means of revealing the Lord. In Exodus 3, it's a burning bush. In our text, it's a fire that consumes the offering. There's all these similarities, and it's showing that God, through Gideon, is, is working another exodus, a, a more important exodus for Israel. And Gideon may have realized the similarities, And this may be why he quickly ran to prepare some kind of offering for the person speaking to him. He was seeking reassurance that the Lord was speaking to him. And Gideon prepared quite the gift, a young goat, an ephah of flowers, no small offering. And when the angel of the Lord burned up the gift and disappeared, Gideon then realized what was happening. thought he was going to die. The Lord reassured him, peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord. That brings us to our last point. Gideon constructed his altar in response to God's declaration of peace. However, that construction of the altar was at the same time a declaration of war. There were now two altars for two gods in Israel, for Yahweh and one for Baal. The Lord does not tolerate idols. So the Lord commanded Gideon to demolish his father's altar to Baal. It's an interesting sequence of events. The angel of the Lord told Gideon that he would save Israel from the hand of Midian. Where does this salvation begin? Right at his own home. The first battle is not against the Midianites, 
It's against Baal and Asherah. And this is the most important battle. It's something Israel needed to reckon with, with its own idolatry. It's something we need to reckon with, too. Remember, the, the problem in this world is, first of all, in here. In Ephesians 5, verse 5 states, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral and pure, who is a covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Idolatry lives close to home. It lives in our hearts often. We need to cut it out of our lives. Gideon, or God called Gideon to cut down the Baal and Asher at his father's house. Uh, he obeyed, but he did it at night. Now, what should we make of this? Sure, shows Gideon's weakness. However, it's also understandable in a way. Uh, the important thing is that he did carry out the Lord's command. Gideon came with two bulls and ten servants. He pulled down the altar of Baal. Cut down the Asherah. With the wood on the altar, he made an altar to Yahweh in its place. Then he sacrificed the second bowl to the Lord on the altar. You see, it's not good enough just to cut away idols. We have to replace it with service to God. When the men of the town arose, they saw the devastation to their idols. They found out it was Gideon and they became angry. They demanded that Gideon be put to death. Right? And they were angry enough to murder Gideon because he had touched their idol. And that's also the consistent pattern of idolatry. When people's idol is touched, they, became, they become angry. That's a good check for us. If you find yourself to be angry, it's a good, good idea to check your heart. Ask yourself, am I angry because someone touched an idol of my heart? Now, it's not necessarily the case, but it certainly can be. Now, in any case, these men were angry enough to kill Gideon, but that was Gideon's cost of a discipleship. Following the, world meant re- or following the Lord meant rejection of the world. Gideon tore down the idols during the night, but Lord Jesus did it in broad daylight. Think of our reading in John 8. Pharisees were men of the town, so to speak, but Christ wasn't afraid of them. He didn't try to tiptoe around them. He just gave it to the Pharisees full blast. If you were children of Abraham, you would be doing the works of Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. Christ did not mince his words. The Pharisees were ready to kill the Lord Jesus like the men of the town wanted to kill Gideon. And eventually they did. That's also good news for us. It's because it's the, the death of Jesus that finally frees us from the slavery to sin that's in our own hearts. It's the death of Jesus that paid the penalty for all of our idolatry and slavery to sin. You see that we see a new exodus happening in Judges 6. But the true exodus, the final exodus, happens 
through the blood of Jesus Christ. See, Christ purchased us from God so that we might serve Him. It's through the death of Christ that our old sinful nature, our old hearts inclined to all evil, it's cut away. That's why we can be confident that God will be with us as He was with Gideon. We belong to God through the blood of Christ. The men of the city approached Joash looking for Gideon. But Joash responded, Shall you contend for Baal? Or will you save him? If he is God, let him contend for himself. It's good advice. Wouldn't the true God be able to defend himself? If Baal were really God, could Gideon fight against him and win? Of course not. It's a good test, isn't it? If you fight against the true God, you will eventually lose. That's true of the Lord as well. If someone opposes the true God, they will eventually fail. Gideon opposed Baal, didn't hurt him one bit. It's because Baal is only an idol. We serve the living God through Jesus Christ. And no one, no one will be able to contend against Jesus Christ and win. For if anyone contends with Christ's church, Christ himself will contend with him or with her. So we can be confident that through Christ, the church will always endure. Amen. Let's now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing Psalm 135, stanzas 1, 7, and 10.